Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. I want to invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read from verse 7 to 16. I want to speak about something really dear and important to my heart, our heart as a church, that really is at the epicentre of our leadership, how we do what we do. And it's something that many believers have never been taught, I think, effectively. And we want to talk about this. While you're turning there, Ephesians 4 verse 7, I want to let you know about Numa School of the Spirit. It's relaunching next year, revamped Numa College, now Numa School of the Spirit. We've increased and expanded the faculty I'll be teaching at the school along with all the fivefold leaders in our global executive. And uh, it's going to be a a huge opportunity for everyone to be trained and equipped uh, to not just learn a bunch of stuff. Our, Our School of the Spirit is not about simply the transference or transmission of information, but the impartation of the anointing and the presence of God, as well as being equipped and trained and being given practical opportunity to hit the streets and evangelise, to actually grow in your calling and gifting. Every single believer in this room has a ministry. You're called, you're gifted. It could be the marketplace, the education sector, political sector, media, arts and entertainment. Whatever it is, you're called. You need to be equipped for that call. And your university degree is not going to provide all the spiritual firepower you need to walk in your call. And so we offer a a one-year option, a two-year uh, option where you can study Tuesday to Friday and not just be in classroom, but to actually be ministered to in such a way you get to experience worship, chapel, uh, prayer ministry, upper room prayer, activation to go on the streets, move in the power of the Spirit. We're really about raising up mighty men and women of God, revivalists who'll go plant churches, change the world and make a difference in their workplace. And so I'd invite you to come along, be a part of it next year. All the details are now updated on the website. We would love to see you there next year. I'm believing for 100 students next year to be a part. This is something God's given us a vision that people will come from all over the earth and particularly all across Australia to be a part of this. Let's not miss out as a local church. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 7 says this, Paul speaking, Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, He led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And I would add, and women. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, otherwise known as pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro uh, by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 
This has got to be one of the most powerful dynamic passages of Scripture in the Bible. It's so dear and important to us as a church. And today I want to speak to you on the subject of fivefold ministry, the fivefold office of Christ. Now, growing up uh, in a pastor's household, I was a pastor's kid, you get a bird's eye view, a front row seat into all the inner workings and dynamics of the local church. You get to see the good, the bad, the ugly. You get to see leadership dynamics. And I was really privileged. A lot of pastor's kids have a chip on their shoulder and sort of see it as a curse. I saw it as a blessing. And uh, I, I sort of was raised in the house of the Lord. And I watched my parents disciple people and pastor people and um, call out giftings in people, send people out to do ministry. And it was a powerful experience. As well as that, then when I eventually left the police force and went into full-time ministry, studied at Bible college, went and um, was actually on staff. I did an internship at a local church. Then I was on staff at churches, anywhere from 60 people right through to nearly 10,000 people. I served in different roles and capacities, seeing the inner workings of church life, seeing the wineskin of leadership in local churches. And then uh, my wife and I, uh, God called us to plan a church. We started with 13 people in a lounge room, a house church, like a life group setting. And then over three years, we saw that number grow to 400 in attendance. And about 40% of that was first time believers. And uh, we uh, had a million dollar budget. We had 11 paid staff. And, and it really went from zero to 100 really quickly. Again, we saw the wineskin of leadership begin to manifest, materialise and what that looked like. Then the Lord called us to go on uh, a full-time itinerant. And so 47 weekends a year, I was travelling across the body of Christ all over the world in a different conference, different church, different city, different nation, seeing the body of Christ in action. And so all of these experiences give you exposure, give you insight into how the local church is structured, how uh, the body of Christ applies the Word of God and theology, etc., and you really, I got an insight into how senior pastors, senior leaders of churches are really in essence expected to be all things to all people. The senior leader of a church is often expected to be, you know, the counsellor, uh, the pastoral carer, the social reformer in society, the political commentator, the scholar, the theologian, uh, you know, the healer, uh, the dynamic conference preacher, and there is this sort of list of, of, of expectations upon leaders that some of them are realistic and some of them are just plain unrealistic. And, and so because of that, what happens is it leaves leaders with a case of what we call structure punishment, where they are sort of the structure and the expectations upon leaders leaves them feeling uh, overwhelmed, overburdened and overpressured by the expectations of people. And the Lord has not designed one person to be all things to all people. How many of us know only Jesus can fill that role? Only Jesus is the Saviour, the Lord, the Messiah, the one who can actually meet every need that is in our life. And so what often happens is, is that leaders take on this old covenant sort of uh, lone ranger mindset where they're like the Rambo, the diehard, the Terminator who comes in and has to, you know, kill all the demons and resolve all of the issues in the life of the church. And yet the new covenant, the New Testament gives us a new pattern. It gives us a new wineskin of team of the fivefold office of Christ, fivefold ministry, 
as well as the ministry of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the wider body of Christ and in believers' lives. I mean, you would think that the church after 2,000 years would get this because even Hollywood gets this. Have you noticed that superhero films right now are all happening in teams? You've got the Justice League. You've got all the Marvel's Avengers. I mean, even Hollywood's woken up to the fact that Rambo no longer applies and, uh, and, and Robocop and, and Die Hard no longer applies because it's no longer a one-man show. We need each other. We all bring different gifts, different graces to fight a common enemy and to be a part of what the solution is in whatever narrative or scenario Hollywood's presenting in the world. And for 2,000 years, the fivefold ministry gifts of Jesus, the fivefold office of Christ is not the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They are the gifts of Christ. And the gifts of Christ are not things, they are people. The people, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, teacher is the gift to the body of Christ. And this ministry, fivefold ministry, has been staring us in the face in Ephesians 4 for 2,000 years. And the church has acknowledged it in some form or, or, or part, but has not uh, really embraced it as the wineskin of ministry and leadership in the local church. It's a little bit like in AD 410, the Roman Empire was destroyed, but someone forgot to tell a Roman governor in the north of Britain. And for a decade after the Roman Empire fell, he was still building the culture of Rome, the infrastructure and the principles and all of the logistics of highways and, and economic life according to an old pattern. And so in the same way, we as the church can be building according to a blueprint, A, that's no longer sustainable, and B, that's not even biblical, all right? And if that's happening, we've got a problem, heaven. Heaven, we have a problem, all right? I love what Albert Einstein says. He says, problems of the world can't be resolved with the same thinking that created the problems in the first place. If you don't like the symptoms that your life is giving you, you've got to change the input. You've got to change the operating system, the belief system that you're bringing to your life. And so one of the key problems and distinctive problems that the modern church has, not being negative, but being realistic, is that the church is not ministering in the full measure of the stature of Jesus Christ. Paul says in this passage what the goal is. He said the goal is unity of faith. How many of us know the body of Christ by and large is quite disunified? Unity of faith. He says the goal is the knowledge of the Son of God. That isn't just information in our heads. That's experiential knowledge of intimacy with Jesus of who He is in all of His brilliance and in all of His fullness. Paul says the goal is spiritual maturity, not being infants tossed to and fro by human cunning and the ways of the world. Paul says the goal is the full measure of the stature of Christ. Now, if we were to be honest, for all of our effort, for all of our rhetoric, Western culture is by and large still secularised. Much of the church is increasingly powerless. 
we see that in pockets of the church, there are signs and wonders. We've seen over 300 miracles in, in 11 weeks, just in this outpouring alone, let alone before that. And so we understand that in pockets of the church, there are the greater works, there is the move of God, but a powerless church presents to the world an inferior picture of who King Jesus is. It presents to the world an inferior gospel and we have got to contend for the supernatural power of the gospel. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel in Romans 1, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Jesus said in John 14, 12, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. What are the works that Jesus did? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, minister to the poor and marginalised, pr promote justice for those who are oppressed by the systems of the day. He said, even greater works than these will you do because I'm going to the Father. The question we've got to ask for the wider body of Christ is, where are the greater works? Do you ever ask that? Where are the greater works? Where are the demonstrations of the Spirit and of power? And what a lot of people do in the absence of something is they create weird theologies and doctrines like cessationism, which says that all of the fivefold ministry gifts and all of the gifts of the Spirit and all signs and wonders died out in the first century, but you are never to become a professional explainer of why something doesn't exist. We're actually to come back and align our weakness and our lack with the truth and experience of God's Word. On top of that, the media is filled with all sorts of leadership scandals that we are seeing right now. The, the, the credibility and validity of the church is brought into question increasingly by society. Spiritual leaders are falling morally right across the body of Christ. And many leaders do so because they're simply bearing up under unrealistic expectations, not finding their joy and satisfaction in the glory of Jesus but out of a performance orientation are trying to find identity and significance in their own achievements and accomplishments, which just lead you down a rabbit hole that you can't get out of. And so where there is no joy and there is no satisfaction, your flesh goes to try and find that in other things, which by the way, is not just a, a, a occupational hazard of leaders, but to every single person on the planet and every believer in whatever field or industry they work. And so with this sort of realistic and somewhat bleak picture, no wonder then that the church has been totally obsessed with sort of like a beam me up, Scotty, get me out of here, eschatology or theology that all just wants to board the rapture bus and get the heck out of Dodge because the world's going to the hell in a handbasket. It's pear-shaped and we just got to get out of here. But Jesus never said, your kingdom go and you will be done in heaven as it is in heaven. Jesus said, your kingdom come. Pray like this, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is trying to get into the earth. The church is trying to get out of the earth because it's just too pear-shaped. But the, we are the solution. Light is the solution to darkness. 
And yes, while we read the book of Revelation, we know there's gonna be tribulation. Jesus prophesied it. He said, in this world, you can have tribulation, but take heart, I, I, not you, I, Jesus has overcome the world. There's gonna be darkness. There's gonna be all sorts of tribulation and persecution. But with that, the church is to shine brighter. There's to be more glory. There's to be more power. And I believe that as the world increasingly becomes darker, so too the Kingdom of God shines brighter to influence the systems and structures and spiritual authorities of this world for the glory of Jesus until He returns. Jesus said to wait and occupy, to actually travail, intercede and occupy, not to look for an escape off-ramp to get out of this world. Is this helping anybody today? And so the current problem that the church faces calls for a transformation for the wineskin of leadership. When you wanna change something as it relates to the church, both historically, presently and biblically, theologically, you've got to deal with the spiritual authority structures that are in the life of the church because as goes the leaders, so goes the church. That applies to business, that applies to family, that applies to the local church. And so the solution to the problem is we've got to return to Jesus' pattern for church government. I'm not sure you came to church today thinking that was gonna be the solution. Yes, prayer is needed. Yes, worship in all of its pure form is needed. Yes, there needs to be more evangelism. Yes, we need to go into all the world and make disciples. But if you don't address the issue of pattern of leadership in the church, all the other change is not going to happen. Richard Niebuhr says this, he says, great revolutions in Christianity don't come by discovering something new, but recovering what's been there all along. Jesus hasn't called us to reinvent the wheel. He's called us to follow His original pattern. After all, His first call to all of us is come, follow me, and I will make you something you can't make yourself. We've become so enamoured with the art of leadership, we've forgotten to obey the simple call of followership. If you follow Jesus as the leader, as the chief shepherd, as the head of the church, He will make you into something you simply cannot make yourself into. And, and He is the leader. As much as God appoints fivefold ministry, we are all pointing everyone back to Jesus as the leader and as the chief shepherd of our souls. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. The leaders, as fivefold leaders in the church, should be those that set the example of maturity, not perfect, but are seeking to honour God and live in such a way that the body of the church can grow into health and strength as they imitate the example of those who should be spiritually mature as the fivefold ministers of the church. Now in Ephesians 4, Paul says, when Christ ascended, His gifts descended. He not only gave grace to each one of us as believers, but He gave the fivefold office of Christ, the fivefold ministry gifts to the church. In verse 11 and 12, he says, the purpose for these gifts are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It's to equip the church and build up the church, build up the body of Christ until we fulfil the goal that we just outlined. 
Now, you cannot get any better than following Jesus' example. Jesus is perfect theology. If you wanna know how to be a Christian, look to Jesus. Wanna know what the Father looks like, look to Jesus. You wanna know what the church should look like. Yes, we look at some of the Pauline letters, but at the end of the day, you've gotta follow the example and mandate of who Jesus is. He is perfect theology. You cannot get any better than Him. So we don't take our cue from media, from the spirit of the world, We don't take our cue from the latest trends and what's the latest thing, the new thing. There's a lot of leaders at the moment with all sorts of changing of uh, various church influences in our nation saying, what's the new thing? What's the next model? And then people say, you know, fivefold is the next model. I'm like, fivefold has been there all along for the last 2,000 years. It's not a new model. We've just never embraced it. We've just never acknowledged it. We've never understood it. Historically, what the church has done has embraced pastors and teachers and evangelists or missionaries. We sort of feel comfortable with that. It sort of doesn't stretch us out of our comfort zone too much. But we've excluded apostles and prophets. I mean, we don't know what to really do with them. I mean, after all, you know, didn't they die out after the first century? What do we do with the ooky spooky prophets? And what do we do with those apostles that pull us and stretch us out of our comfort zone to go beyond, as Star Trek says, where no man has gone before, to plant churches and to go to unreached people groups? I mean, who are these apostles and prophets? And then in more contemporary times, we have the beast emerge called the CEO of the local church. And whilst the CEO model works really well in the corporate sector, it actually messes the church up when it comes to the local church. The Bible tells us all these different metaphors and images of the local church, things like the bride of Christ, things like the family of God, the army of God, the body of Christ. Nowhere does it says the church is an organisation, a company or or a particular marketplace. And so when the church becomes corporatized, even though there's some organisational dynamics around it and it loses its sense of body, bride, family and army, we actually divert away from what Christ originally intended the church to look like and to be. Ephesians 2.20, the Bible says, we are members of the household of God. So if you're a believer, you're a follower of Jesus, you are a member of the household of God. You don't have to sign a form to be a member of the household of God. The moment you were born of the Spirit, you are a saint, you are a member. You might not get the Catholic Church award you sainthood, all right? But according to God, you are now a saint. You're a member, you're a royal priest, you're a part of the Kingdom of God. And as members of the household of God, the local church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets that did not die out in the first century, but are still being given to the church today in every age. And Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 2 that Christ Jesus Himself is the cornerstone in which the whole structure of the household of God is built up to become a holy temple to the Lord. Now in the natural, if the cornerstone shapes the pattern of every other brick that's connected to it, 
then Jesus being the pattern, the chief cornerstone, when he outlines that the church of Jesus Christ is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, he actually intends that is the eternal pattern, that the church is to be built upon coming together with the other fivefold graces in Ephesians chapter 4. Now, churches that tend to operate with only pastors, evangelists, teachers tend to become very people-centric versus God-focused. And the reason is, is because those graces and gifts are concerned primarily with the welfare of people and the delivery of ministry to individuals. You say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, in the great commandment, the first priority of the great commandment is the vertical relationship. It's to love God with all of our heart, soul, strength and mind. And a second is like it, horizontal relationships. Love your neighbour as you love yourself. You get the vertical relationship wrong, you get heaven's priorities wrong, then you're going to mess up your horizontal relationships. How many broken relationships, how many broken churches, how many broken things are there in the world because people, first of all, don't honour and worship and prioritise heaven's priorities and then apply that into their horizontal relationships in their life in the world. You say, well, I thought that it was God's heart to seek and save the lost. I thought that people are the priority of heaven. Yes, of course, but you've got to understand that when people demands take precedence over ultimate heaven priorities, the church gets off centre. How do we know that? Because it only took six chapters into Acts, into the early church, before people demands distracted the apostles and prophets from their heavenly priorities and the momentum of the church stopped. Everything that was happening, miracles, harvest of souls, growth of the church, it all stopped in a heartbeat because the apostles who were called to prayer, the ministry of the Word, to discern what is in the Father's heart, where, what the vision is, where the church needs to go, who needs to be appointed to various roles and responsibilities, the equipping of God's people, all of that we became secondary to meeting the practical food distribution needs of the church at that time. There were Hellenistic Jews, Greek-speaking widows, who were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And so a complaint comes from this group because the apostles were not fulfilling ultimately their responsibility, but what they needed to do is acknowledge the need, acknowledge the demand, because the practical needs are important. But to actually appoint and empower and equip those full of the Spirit and of faith to go and meet these practical demands and needs. And together, the body of Christ, the men and women of God together can actually see the church fulfil the goal, fulfil its potential and to move forward with connecting heavenly priorities with people demands. It's only as these two things come together that we read in Acts 6, the momentum of the church kicked back in. Many started to be added into the life of the church. The priests became obedient to the faith. The Word of God continued to increase and the church moved forward because the fivefold graces and the body of the church were working together, discerning what heaven wants to do and translating that to ministry on the earth 
ministering into people's lives. When apostles and prophets focus on heaven's priorities and partner with the other fivefold graces to minister those priorities into people's lives, the church is glorious. The church is beautiful and it can accomplish and meet every need that comes its way. Now, one of the chief obstacles to this beautiful picture and the goal of the full stature and measure of Jesus is if we <coughs> simply ignore the biblical pattern and we just follow human reasoning. And the reality is that many churches and some leaders, unfortunately, have ignored this pattern and have submitted themselves to simply follow the reason and logic of the loudest voice or whatever the trend is in that particular day. Paul warns against this. In verse 14, he warns against the influence of human cunning, the influence of deceitful schemes that define our worship, our ministry, our approach to church life. Human reasoning, you need to understand, doesn't often have heaven's interests primarily in mind. We see this in the life of Peter. Jesus has been talking about dying upon the cross for the sins of the world. And Peter is thinking with human reasoning. He's like, this is gonna be bad for kingdom business. We can't, I mean, business is booming at the moment, Jesus. You can't die. If you die, business stops. We're gonna stop this. No, 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 no. You are not gonna die. You are gonna stay alive and we're gonna keep business booming. And Jesus is like, you're thinking. He said, "Get talk about a rebuke. Get behind me, Satan. I mean, it's a bad day when Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You know, he says, you're not thinking the thoughts of heaven. You're not thinking the mind of, with the mind of Christ. You're thinking with human reasoning. You're literally human reasoning, human rationale, apart from Christ, partners with demonic thinking. And it's interesting that most of the, and much of the expression of democratic forms of government here today is centred in human rationale and humanism or human thinking. And we wonder why there's so much disorder in the earth. We wonder why there's so much disorder in church government. And wherever there is disorder with human reasoning, humans seek to gain control in order to protect the rule of those who are in office. Can I just preach truth today, please? That's how it's designed to protect the rule. So where there's disorder, we've got to control. But Isaiah 9, 7 says, of the increase of God's government and His peace, there will be no end. So when God's government comes into the economy of the local church, the Kingdom of God, one of the primary markers is the Prince of Peace. And where peace is there, you don't need to control you empower, you empower people. We're not trying to control people. We're trying to empower them to follow Jesus, empower them with the person of the Holy Spirit. And so we got to understand that, that there is a biblical pattern that God wants us to pay attention to. Now, because we are Spirit-filled believers and because Spirit-filled believers, Pentecostals and, and Charismatics are uh, uh, pragmatic and action-oriented in our faith and witness. By and large, this is true. We tend to default to the Super Bowl chapter of Acts chapter 2, the outpouring on the day of Pentecost. And we sort of take our ideas of church and church leadership from Acts chapter 2 alone. But you need to understand something. 
Acts chapter 2 and beyond is a visible external expression of an Ephesians 4 internal constitution that defines and informs the internal organs of the body of Christ. How many of us know, can't see your brain, can't see your heart? Thank you very much, Jesus. But those organs are primarily the the catalyst to ensuring you have a healthy body and you have uh, not toxicity and that you are able to function in normal life. We can't always see the internal organs, but the internal organs are vital to the health and regeneration and healing and, and, and vitality of our bodies. The same is true for the body of Christ. If Acts 2 gives us a visible external body expression, Ephesians 4, the inner workings, that helps us understand the constitution, the philosophy, the culture, the spirit that guides the church. And so for 2,000 years, scholars have held that Ephesians 4 is a heavyweight teaching. It's language, it's themes, and it's implications. And yet by and large, the church hasn't got the revelation. We haven't applied it and we haven't embraced it. And as a result of that, we are suffering 2,000 years later because of it. And what Paul does in this passage, in the genius of the inspiration of the Spirit, is he moves from a theological foundation, Ephesians 1, of who you are in Christ and what position we have in the heavenly places with Jesus. He builds this sort of theological momentum until he starts to talk about practical things of how you and I can live and walk this faith life out in our practical lives and in the ministry of the church. And what he does is he shows us how to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling that we've received. And then he calls us to unify around a few things. He says, we are of one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit, one hope. He goes through this list and then he connects our identity in Christ with this oneness of the spirit, with one model and wineskin of leadership I'm so glad you asked what that wineskin and model of leadership is. The fivefold office of Christ. Fivefold ministry gifts. And what God has joined together, let not any man or woman or church separate. And yet for 2,000 years, we've separated it. 1 Corinthians 12, 28, pastors and evangelists don't even get a look in. He says, and God is appointed first in the church. Apostles, second prophets, third teachers, fourth, the working of miracles. Even administrators get a shot at the list. It's awesome. It tells us that administration is as much an important gift of the Spirit as any other expression in the body of Christ. Thank God for the administrators. They keep leaders like me out of jail in Jesus' name. That was a joke. Laugh, laugh with me. It's true, actually. Not because I'm doing anything wrong, but because they say, hey, did you, have you dotted the I and crossed the T on that? You need to know that. Thank God for the administrators. The pastors and evangelists don't even get a look in. They do in Ephesians 4. But what is this? It's a picture of the flow of the leadership expression that funnel from heaven where the glory of God, that the posture of revival can only be sustained with the wineskin of fivefold leadership. And so not everyone who's called a pastor is actually a graced pastor. Shock horror. Who would have thought? Actually, they could be a prophet or they could be an evangelist 
or they could be a pastor or or a teacher or an apostle. And so we use the term pastor because people understand that. It's a term of honour. It's a term of designation. But just because someone's called a pastor doesn't actually mean that they're graced or even called to be that. It's something we give as a deference of honour and acknowledgement in the wider body. So the answer to ignoring the biblical pattern and the answer to human reasoning is we've got to repent and realign the foundation of the church to the fivefold office of Christ. Now, when we use that word repentance, we're not talking about just feeling remorseful or feeling bad. Repentance means a change of mind, a change of thinking. And in Ephesians 4, Paul says, we're going to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, which means that we are not to walk as the world walks. How do you avoid walking as the world walks? Walking in your flesh, meaning your lifestyle, your actions, how you speak, how you conduct yourself. How do you avoid that? Through the renewal of your mind. According to that new creation nature that you've been given by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God through the Word of God renews your mind and you now practice active repentance. I used to speak this way. I used to act that way. I used to treat people like that. But now I've had a change of mind. I've had a change of thinking. I no longer am going to talk that way, act that way and participate in that activity. Why? Because I'm a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. And so you're a new creation spiritually, but you need an operating software upgrade in your thinking according to the heavenly pattern. And God's thoughts and God's ways will become your thoughts and your ways. We need to apply this to fivefold ministry in the wineskin of the church. Fivefold ministry is vital to the health of this church. If one of these graces is missing, the church is inadequate, insufficient and incomplete. If one of your vital organs were missing, you are not going to have physical health. Just as the body has capacity to heal itself when all of the organs of the body are working, so too when fivefold is restored back into the healthy expression of leadership in the church, the body can be regenerated. The health of the church with all the graces and all the streams. And this is what happens when one of the graces are missing. If a church is only led by a prophet and no other accompanying competing graces, all right, or complementary graces, often the prophet will not be strong in pastoral care. And so there'll be words, there'll be amazing moves of God, but no one will be cared for because the prophet's burden, whilst they love people, their burden is for the word, right? But if a church is only led by a pastor, all right, someone who is primarily focused on the welfare and well-being of the sheep, often they will be weak in evangelism. That's why the majority of churches in Australia, nearly over 90% of churches are are no bigger than about 100 people. Even though Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. It's not about size. It's the issue that a lot of churches are led by one-dimensional pastors and shepherds who is only concerned for the welfare of the few sheep and they've forgotten the lost that are outside. Now that's a generalisation, but it's by and large true. Same too, if a church is often led 
by a teacher. You will know and understand and explain the Word of God in its entirety in a way that you can apply. But often some of the other graces, be it the prophetic or be it the apostolic advancement may be missing. But what happens when all five of these graces come together to actually lead the local church? And so the fivefold ministry must be restored as spiritual leaders in the church, not based on title or position, but based on grace. We don't walk around going, oh, Apostle Corey or Prophet Stacey or, you know, we acknowledge pastors, leaders, but their grace, Stacey's grace is in the prophetic. And she is a prophet and we'll acknowledge that, but we don't give her that title as a designation. It's an acknowledgement of honour for her grace. Okay, and then we have Sheree, who we call, say Pastor Sheree, but actually she's not a pastor, she's an evangelist. She's the thorn in your side going, why don't you care about lost people? And why don't you show up to the Sharing Jesus Confidently course? Because there are lost people dying in the world and Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Don't you care about the lost? Yes, I do care about the lost. Good, we'll come to Sharing Jesus Confidently. That's the evangelist. And then the pastor comes alongside and the teacher comes alongside and out of their grace, they minister. Now, I've come to understand the graces by just thinking about the fingers on your hand. The thumb is the apostle. The apostle has almost like this general practitioner grace that can touch all of the other graces, just like your thumb can touch all of the other fingers. So as God leads, and there's a slide that will come up. There it is. Amazing, I'm prophetic, right? It just came up. The apostle is, is the one that brings government, governing grace to the local church, all right? They are one who is sent by God and scales the church in other regions. They have a vision, plant churches all across the earth. Hello, somebody. Let's go and plant churches. <coughs> Let's raise up sons and daughters. And their concern is advancement, The apostle was a Roman term, a Roman idea, the Greek term apostolos. It came from the idea of an armada of ships, an admiral, an apostle that would take an army on ships to a foreign land representing the Roman Empire to actually enculturate, invade a foreign land and enculturate with principles, resource and logistics the culture of the Roman Empire in a foreign land. So Jesus uses a secular concept to try and explain a spiritual truth, okay? Then you have the prophet. The prophet is the pointer finger, points the way. And the prophet is there to guide the church, to reveal the heart of God to the church, to reform broken injustices and systems in society, to actually help the church hear the voice of God and equip the church in intimacy and worship and prayer and passionate relationship with God. Now, the middle finger is the evangelist. You might have received the evangelist driving down the road if you cut somebody off, okay? So the next time that happens to you, just say, they're evangelising, all right? So the evangelist extends the furthest out of the hand because the evangelist is focused on gathering the lost into the church. It reaches out the furthest to preach the gospel, but not just to preach the gospel, to excite and equip the church to actually go and share Jesus confidently. They're the thorn in the church's side saying, hey, don't become a comfortable consumer and just think it's all about you. There are lost people going to hell. We've got to go reach them. 
right? And, the, and we're all called to do the work of an evangelist. It isn't just the gifted ones or the anointed office evangelist. We're all called to share our faith with those who don't know the Lord. And then you have the pastor. The pastor is the ring finger. The pastor hatches, matches and dispatches. You say, what on earth are you talking about? Well, the, fa- the, the, the pastor, I was going to say the father, the pastor dedicates babies. What's that? Hatching. The pastor marries men and women. What's that? That's matching. And the pastor dispatches, does funerals. And so hatch, match, dispatch, right? That's what the pastor does, all right? And again, that's generalised. But what is the pastor concerned about? The pastor is focused on guarding the health of the church. He's interested in protecting the sheep from the wolves in sheep's clothing. Wants to make sure that the people are provided for, they're cared for, they're supplied. Thank God for the pastors that are actually caring for the well-being of families, relationships and systems of health in the life of the church. Then the little finger is the teacher. Now, if you take away your little finger, you're going to miss balance and strength in your hand. But the teacher grounds us in the truth of God's Word, helps us explain, understand and apply the Word of God in our life. And so the teacher is all about um, explaining and training, equipping us to understand how to live the Word of God out. Now, you may be saying, how do these gifts, how do these graces all work together? I want you to imagine with me a car accident scene. You've arrived at an intersection and there's a couple of cars that unfortunately have collided and the five-fold ministry gifts, Marvel Avengers, fly in to the intersection. This is how they would normally, according to their wiring and grace, respond. The apostle shows up and immediately moves in to supernatural healing and signs and wonders. He goes to the car wreckage and he sees who's injured, who's sick. In Jesus' name, I command your body to be healed. Bang, that person is healed. Then they start to go and administrate the other gifts in the other bystanders and people that are looking there. And then they start to cast a vision of how we can avoid car accidents in the future and how we can scale a car accident accident-free world in the coming years if we would all just come to Numa School of the Spirit and be equipped and be trained to actually go and make sure that car accidents never happen again. That's the Apostle. The prophet shows up and goes, I knew this was going to happen. I saw it in a dream last night. No one ever listens to me though, do they? And the prophet shows up and sees what's happening and begins to call out purpose and destiny in the injured victims. Don't worry about the injuries. I just see you are going to live and not die. You are going to walk in your calling, anointing and purpose in Jesus' Name. Then they go to all the bystanders and they start calling out, you've got this gift and you've got that call. And they say, have you heard the voice of God lately? Here, let me equip you to hear the the voice of God so you can avoid an accident like this again in your life. That's what the prophet does. The evangelist comes on the scene, doesn't worry about who's injured, but just asks a simple question. If you were to die tonight, injured person, would you know that you would be with Jesus? Well, here's the three points of the gospel message for you. You know, you're a sinner. Yeah, you're a sinner. And Jesus died for you. And you need to make a decision to get into relationship with Him. Good, now you're saved. Then they go to the bystanders. Are you saved? Have you given your heart to Jesus? And then they say, all come to sharing Jesus confidently course. And I'm going to equip you how to share Jesus confidently. If anything like this should happen again. Then the pastor shows up. Thank God for the pastor. (laughs) 
because the boss is the only one that calls triple zero for the paramedics to come <laughs> and looks after the dude that's injured in the car. Right? And the pastor's got a first aid kit and walks in and wraps the bandages and cares and tissues, water, what do you need? And then goes around and says, are you okay? Do you need a mental health day? Let's stop. Let's gather together and let's have a session together and cares and, well, you could do this and do that. And the pastor is the one that journeys with the families after the accident and actually counsels them and passes them through their trauma. Am I right or am I right? Then the teacher shows up and whilst all the other fivefold graces are running around, just begins to examine the scene and research it. And they look at the skid marks and they look at where, and they start to take notes and they start to exegete and interpret in their textbook of what has happened. And they say, this is accurately what has happened. The car hit here, this happened here. And I'm gonna write a manual, a training manual that can help us all understand how we can avoid car accidents from this day forward. And by the way, you also need to come to school of the Spirit and I'm going to teach you out of the textbook and I'm going to write manuals to help you know how to avoid this ever again in your life. Can somebody say Amen? <laughs> this is how the fivefold work together. How do they work together? Through a culture of honour. This is why a few weeks ago I preached on a culture of honour. There's a method to the madness. This is why I preached a few weeks ago on being appointed and anointed. God wants you to know what your appointment is. He wants you to know what your anointing is, but He also wants you to know that all of the ministry gifts, fivefold office of Christ and the gifts of the Spirit can only work together through a culture of honour that defers to the grace that is most needed to minister at the time. If all you know how to do is use a hammer, you use a hammer in every situation. But how many know not every situation needs a hammer? Some situations need a screwdriver. Some situations need a tissue. Other situations need a bottle of water. Other situations need a blanket. Lots of different issues. But if all you know to use is a hammer, you'll bring a hammer into every situation. And much of the church just brings one hammer to every situation and goes, this is the answer. God goes, no, I gave you fivefold gifts. I gave you fivefold ministry. And having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, you're to use them. Yeah. And so the fivefold are not independent silos, but they're an integrated system of cross-pollination right across the church. Right. And that's why here at Numa and our global executive team and in every location, we are building according to the wineskin of five-fold leadership. Yeah. Because if it was all left to me, we're in trouble. <laughs> because I'm incomplete. I'm not perfect, but together, we're Marvel's Avengers. Together, we can actually hit the devil over the head with a big hammer. Together, we can affect change and bring light to a dark world. And all of the ministries in the church, including this service, including ushering, including our outreach in the community, our schools ministry, all the life groups, all the different ministries, they're all aligned with one of those fivefold graces. And then our business manager and our business management arm and all of the operational aspects of the church, fiscal, stewardship, financial, uh, wisdom and governance, all that comes alongside the fivefold to help bring good governance and stewardship to the, the fivefold wineskin leadership 
of the church. All ministries flow out of fivefold grace. And when you and I bring a culture of honour and recognise the graces upon people's lives and particularly the fivefold, and we bring our ministry gift and we honour that, we become a recipient of the grace that is on somebody else's life. And where ministry or believers are out of alignment with the fivefold, not to control, but to empower fullness, where there's out of alignment, the momentum and fruitfulness of your ministry stops. The momentum and fruitfulness of the church stops. But when we're collaborating, when we're working together with the relevant grace, it is an unstoppable force. And Paul's statement in verse 16, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow and it builds itself up in love. That's the goal. So let's be a church, one that understands that, two that aligns with that, three celebrates that, and four flourishes under an open heaven. As the government of heaven, Jesus' pattern for the local church is understood and embraced so that God's purposes and God's goal can be met and realised in the earth. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.